hey, when I moved here from the Midwest about, it's, it's coming up on two years in two months, which is kind of crazy for me. Uh, woo, yeah, <laughs> good timing. Uh, when, when I moved here from the Midwest, it was like moving to a different country. Um, the Midwest, I love it, it has a huge part of my heart, but it's like six years behind in everything. I don't know if you know this about the Midwest, but like maybe fashion. Like fashion, they're just getting like carpenter pants in some places, okay? It's like, let's go baggy jeans now. Like, whoa, there's baggy jeans, let's go to baggy jeans. They're just getting it, and I was this, I'm not hating, because this is who I was. They told me in the Midwest, you know, oh, people are wearing like slim fit jeans now. I'm like, for men? <laughs> they're wearing tight pants, you know? That's crazy. Now I can't even like breathe, okay, because these things are so tight. So like I get it, this is where I was at. Uh, and where I was also at, you know, because it's not just fashion, but it's also apps. Like sometimes apps happen here first. You know, this is a good tech center. And, and we don't really get it. We didn't really get apps there uh, in, in the Midwest. We didn't know about them. And so I moved here and we're out to lunch and there's like 20 people and someone just shouts out at the end. They're like, who's paying? And someone's like, me, I want the points. I'm like, oh no, the points aren't worth it. That's like a $400 bill. What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm paying for it. Either that person was crazy generous or not smart uh, or they were super rich. I'm like, what is going on? Why are these people volunteering to pay? And I asked the person next to me and they're like, we're just going to Venmo them. I'm like, what's a Venmo? Like, is that appropriate? Does God like that? Is that okay? It seems degrading. I don't want to Venmo somebody if God doesn't want me to. And they're like, no, you just, you transfer them money through this app. And you can do a little smiley face, a little pancake with some emojis. I'm like, no. I'm like, shut up. They're like, yes, this is how it goes now. I'm like, wow. And you know when like you open up like one revelation door or one knowledge door, like you get this revelation and then like 13 other revelations happen in that moment. You're like, look at all the stuff I can do with this new revelation, with this new knowledge. That's what happened in my Venmo moment. Like I had a Venmo moment and I'm like, okay, so now I can go out to lunch with cheap people. Before, I'm just avoiding cheap folks. Like, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, yeah, next month. We'll, we'll, we'll work something out, you know, because I think they're not going to pay me back. Now I can request money from them, you know? Like, how are you going to deny that? It's like an official online request. So now I can go out to lunch with cheap people. Now when, like, I'm sitting with 47 people, I don't have to get up. It's like this nerve-wracking moment. There's 47 of us. How are we going to split the bill 47 ways? There's none of that anymore because we can just Venmo something. Like, sometimes you, you, you open this one revelation door and a bunch of other revelation doors open up. And, and it was in that moment where I felt like, my Venmo moment, where I felt like, man, I have been missing this all along. Uh, today, I want to get a little bit more serious Today, I want to talk about something that you've been missing, maybe, all along. And I hope that when we talk about this characteristic of God, that it's like one door that opens and 13 other opens, 13 other doors open, right? Because when you're listening for God, but you don't understand his character, you're listening for the wrong thing. And then it makes your lack of understanding of his character worse. So I'm hoping that this characteristic that's always really been there, will open up new characteristics for God and you'll start to hear his voice a little bit differently and understand his scriptures a little bit more. Here's your Venmo moment. Here is, here is the moment, this understanding of God. Jesus is a God of compassion. Jesus is a God of 
compassion. This may be easy for you, but it's hard for me because I'm not a person of compassion. And so this was a deep study for me this week. And so when you're listening for God and you're wondering, does he care about the littles? Does he care about the bigs? Is he a rub some dirt on it, God? Is he a go stop crying type of God? Uh, Is he a God who even listens? Is he a God who even cares? In that moment, you may not understand his voice because you have the wrong idea of his character and therefore you need a deep study of the compassion of Jesus. Jesus is a compassionate God. Love and compassion pour out of him. This is hopefully, and this is what I'm praying for today, this is hopefully our soul moment, our, our Venmo moment uh, that, that we understand God in a deeper way today. This is what I'm going to pray for, that we open one door and therefore we open 30 doors. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am sorry that compassion does not breathe out of me like it breathes out of you. And so I hope that today there is this deep understanding and my bank of compassion that lives in my soul. I pray that it fills up, that it gets rich. I pray that for everybody in the room, that because you're a God of compassion, we would be a people of compassion. And that when we serve, when we love, when we make a difference in our city, It's out of those bones. It's out of that heart. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, we pray these things. Amen. Hey, would you turn to Mark 6.32 with me this morning? Mark 6.32. If you're brand new, we're going verse by verse to the gospel according to Mark. You may think to yourself, is that going to take the whole year? And the answer is yes and more. So we started in January. We're going to probably make it through April to finish the gospel according to Mark. But we care a whole lot about the Bible and dissecting it. Verse 32 And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. This is the the disciples and Jesus. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Uh, Can you remember, because they're running, can you remember the last time you ran for any other reason other than a sport or because you're missing the train? There's not too many instances where you're fully clothed and running after somebody, and, and when I see somebody running like these folks, I immediately, I, don't, I can't help it, I judge them, right? There's this condescending thought like, they must have planned poorly, right? They must be missing their kid's birthday or something. They work too much. I just start judging folks for no reason. You start thinking, that, man, they must be desperate and sweaty. When was the last time you just ran? These folks are so desperate and so needy for the gospel of Jesus, for the hope of Jesus, for the feeding of Jesus, for the teaching of Jesus, that they're running. Some scholars think from certain towns that are up to 15 miles, up to 20 miles away, and so they're doing kind of this marathon thing where they run, and then they yog, and then they walk a little bit, and then they run, because all they want to do is see Jesus, hear from Jesus. Desperation and dependence is pouring out of them. And here's what I've learned about Jesus. The more independence I have, the less I experience all the parts of Jesus. The more dependence I have, the more I experience Jesus. It's pretty simple. Dependence, humble dependence, is attractive to the presence of God. Humble dependence draws out, sings to the compassion of Jesus. And I'm just going to be honest. This is hard for us here in America in general, especially, you know, in, in our 
direct demographic. This is hard for us. These people are going to get a whole Jesus sandwich. They get the whole thing. Triple decker. They get a full teaching. Jesus teaches them all day. And then they get to be a part of a miracle that they're going to remember forever. And also the people surrounding them are going to remember forever. And also the generations are going to remember forever. This is what these people get to experience. They get to experience all of Jesus, all of his bigness. And really it derives from their ability to depend on Jesus and be needy. And this is not American guilt. But man, is it hard for us to get to this level of dependence. It's just the reality. We're pretty self-sufficient. We're pretty independent. We cheer on independence. Most of our songs are about independence. Most of our t-shirts are about independence. We're just like, do you, boo-boo, whoever you are, do, do it. You're amazing just for showing up. Please, just show up and you're amazing and independent and it, this is who we are. And so it's hard for us to get to this level of dependence. You want to go around the world. Some of y'all been around the world. Some of y'all been to impoverished lands. Some of you've been to persecuted countries. Some of you've been near the, the, the underground church in China. And you've realized, wow, the power level inside those movements is 40 times what we have. You think to yourself, wow, how do these people have nothing, none of the amenities that we have, but they have 40 times the joy that we have. You think there's something wrong with them. You're over there like, I don't know, something wrong with them. They just have joy. They don't have much, but they have joy. And you're like, how do they get that? It's easier for them to obtain this dependence on God. Therefore, it's easier for them to obtain this compassion, this joy. And so I want to chase after today something we're going to call purposeful dependence. Intentional dependence. And I realize this is crazy. This is like swimming upstream of the culture, isn't it? The culture says, run towards something that you're amazing at. Jesus says, run towards something where you will need me. Culture says, run towards something that you can be expert level at. If you can't be expert level at that thing, quit. At least for us competitive folks. I will quit and take my ball home like that. And it's not even, if it's not if it's a game, I'm like, I don't even care. I'm not even good at this. I'm leaving. Right? That's why I don't play board games with y'all, because y'all are so good at like settlers of Catan. I'm like, whatever. I'm not a nerd like you guys are, you know, and I just make up an excuse because I can't be expert level. That's what the culture says. The culture says if you aren't expert level, whereas Jesus says, uh, join something so outside of yourself, sign up for something so far outside of yourself that you need the master. You need him for every living breath. When was the last time you signed up for something where you needed you were desperate for Jesus. When was the last time? This is where you experience the presence of God, the compassion of God. Some of you are like, I'm not experiencing God the way that I want to. It's because you're never living outside of your independence. There's this little bubble, there's this little couch that you're sitting on, and it's called independence, and you just sit there, and you got this nice butt print there, and man, you've just, you just been there for, for years. You've never stepped out of your independence, and therefore you're not meeting Jesus in the way that you want to. Some of you are like, man, I can't go to missional community because I feel like if I go to missional community, like the leader's just going to call me out and be like, teach us all the Bible. This is what we think about missional community. This is why we don't go. So, like the leader's just going to call us, hey, you, teach us through Revelation. You know, and we're freaking out. We're like, I can't go there. Like, if that's how you feel about something, first of all, that's not going to happen. But if that's how you feel about something, 
Run toward that dependence. Run toward that moment. Starting a Bible study at school or at work. Justin, that's terrifying. Perfect. Run toward it. Run toward it. Family promise this week. Justin, I don't know how to just build relationships with people I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this whole family promise thing. That's really outside my wheelhouse. Perfect. Run into that. Pray first a ton. It'll lead you to your knees. Pray first and then run into it. Run toward dependence. Inviting your neighbor to church. Some of you are like, that's top three for me. There's snakes on a plane. There's dude getting out of his casket at a funeral. And then there's inviting my neighbor to church because I gotta be around them all year. What if they say no? What if they stop bringing me brownies? Run toward it. Run toward the dependence of God. And I promise you, he he will be unsafe to all the falsely safe parts of who you are. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is dangerous. He's unsafe. But he's unsafe to all the falsely safe parts of who you are. All these things that you think are good and are massaging your ego and they're building you up, all these things that you think are, are growth, they're false. They're not safe. They're unsafe. They're hostile to your soul and your relationship with Jesus and Jesus is going to be hostile to those things that are unsafe for who you are. He's going to draw you out. We'll find out uh, next week, actually, that he draws Peter out of the boat. It's going to be an amazing scripture. Run towards scenarios where you are deeply dependent. These people are sprinting. They're running. They're chasing. They're they're running around and trying to meet Jesus. And the compassion of Jesus is drawn out by their dependence. Next scripture, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. That all I got there? Yes. Send them away, thank you. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. Did you see it? The disciples have little to no clue that Jesus is here to have compassion on these people. The disciples think that Jesus wants to just preach a big sermon. But Jesus' heart is to feed them, not just spiritually, not just their heart, but he wants to feed their bodies. He has compassion on the natural. They had to listen to his messages all day. He's like, I want them fed. And the disciples have no clue. And this may not be shocking to you, but it should be, because weeks ago we studied the fact that these people were fed by other people for weeks at a time. They went on this missionary journey. They took nothing with them. They took no bag, no tunic, no nothing, no continental breakfast, nothing. They're just showing up in these people's houses and through the compassion, the mercy, and the Holy Spirit, they're getting fed. They're having a place to lay their head. They're getting compassion laid on them like a blanket and yet they have none to give to anybody else. And it's because they have not acknowledged the compassion of God And therefore, they have not registered the compassion of God. And therefore, they will not exhibit the compassion of God. Did you know that could happen? Maybe you're like me, and you're wondering, how come I am not a compassionate person? Is it just my makeup? You know, did I take the Enneagram? And is it, you know, something inside of that? Like, it's probably because your compassion bank is empty. You don't know how to receive it acknowledge it, register it, and therefore you don't know how to exhibit it. It's probably because you haven't taken enough risk in your life to need the compassion of Jesus. 
When was the last time, again, you stepped out to the point where like, you're, you're hungry, tired, sleepy, and you just need the compassion of Jesus to fill you up? Your soul is empty because you've been pouring out on people all day, so you need the compassion of Jesus to fill you up. When was the last time? Maybe, maybe you, you've never needed the compassion of God. Or, or maybe, again, you just have not, like the, the disciples have experienced this. I, uh, I'm one of those serial key phone wallet losers. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Yes. Not like serial, S-E-R-I-A-L. Not, I don't lose my serial. I don't like lose my lucky charms. But I lose my keys, my phone, my wallet constantly. Um, and, and so I got this thing. It's called a tile. And I push it, you know, and it, and it rings my phone or, or, the, or the phone rings my keys. That's pretty good. But what I did back in the ancient days when we didn't have stuff like that is, is I would put my keys on a counter, like on my dresser in my room, and I would go, the keys are there, the keys are there, the keys are there. <laughs> For real, like if you walked in on me, you're like, is this dude doing a Halloween spell? Like what's his deal? Is, is he over some witch's brew? Like what's popping off here? Because I put my phone on the desk. My, my phone is there, my phone is there, my phone is there. It's the weirdest thing, but it worked. You know why it worked? Because I'm acknowledging the presence of my keys I'm registering the location of my keys, and therefore I'm experiencing remembrance later on. I'm solidifying in my heart and mind that this happened. Because we have such short-term memory as Americans in American Christianity, because we have spiritual amnesia constantly, when the compassion of God happens to us, we can't just not register it and expect to have an abundance to give to other people. We need to go, the compassion, of the, the compassion is there. The compassion, you know, we need to say it three times. We need to notice it. We need to praise God for it. We need to journal about it. And then we need to exhibit it to other people so we remember how it feels to give, not just get. Maybe your, your compassion tank is empty. You have nothing to give away because you're not registering the compassion of God. Maybe you're too prideful for it. Like when someone tries to pay for me, I only give like one half-hearted effort. I'm like, no. Like I don't even pull out my, my phone or my wallet. I don't even pull it out. I'm like, no, you don't do that. They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's like, because <laughs> I'll receive it. You know, like we should receive it. When I did not make really any money, when I was planting flowers for a living, like I was okay with receiving it. Like when money showed up in my mailbox, I wasn't like, no. No, 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 no. I was tearful and praising God for the amount that he's providing me. Like maybe your compassion tank is empty because you're too good to receive it. You don't need it. For these folks, they're experiencing the compassion. The disciples, they're experiencing it, but they're not registering it. Therefore, they have none to give away. Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy? This is snarky. Just just watch this. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, snark recognize snark. I'm a snarky person. I know exactly what just happened here. The disciples are being super snarky. Here's how you know. They did the math. They straight up did the math and then told Jesus the math as if Jesus needed a math lesson. 
One denarius is a, a day laborer's wage, a typical day laborer's wage. 200 denarii uh, might, might get you eight months of a day laborer's wage, and that will get you approximately 2,400 loaves of bread. There's about five to 10,000 people here. They only counted men, and so we don't know exactly what the number is, but there's a bunch of people here. And so they figure, you know, t- somewhere around 2,500 loaves of bread, you split it up a little bit, that might get us there. Dude did the math, which is crazy. He did the math, and it's such le- next-level smart, snarky and, and, and smart, you know, I'm not going to say the other word, but it's such next-level that he tells Jesus, this is why we can't do this. He shares the details of his findings. Jesus is not going to bite because Jesus has compassion for his people, and he's not just com- a compassionate God, but he's a compassionate teacher. And so he's like, not only am I going to feed these people, but I'm going to teach you something and I'm going to involve you in something. Recognize that one of the most compassionate things that God can do for you is not just do something for you, but it's to involve you in his mission and teach you faith in the process. Jesus does not need these disciples. All they're giving him is attitude. He doesn't need them. Spoiler alert, he's about to feed thousands of people on his power, he doesn't need them, but he involves them because as a compassionate teacher, he wants to teach them faith. And here they go. They start reminding him of the details. Uh, Feed them, Jesus. We're in the wilderness, number one. Uh, Judas has been skimping on the outreach budget. I think he's planning something for later, right? We We don't have this stuff. We don't have the ability to do this, and we're tired, so let's just send them away. God is calling you. I've seen it over the last almost two years since I've been here. God has gotten specific with so many people in this room. He's calling you. He's like, I want to involve you. I want to use you. I want you to be a part of something. You've been moved in this moment right here. You've come forward. You've been at missional community and God is registering it. You've been in your quiet time and God is registering it. You know, in your soul bank, in that part you didn't even know God that God spoke to. In your God gut, God is saying, I'm calling you out. I want you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to teach you. I want you to do something amazing for my kingdom. You know he's calling you. You felt it. So stop going back to him like, ah, it's September, and we're busy in September. Stop giving him the details. Jesus, I don't have that much money. I can't give to that. If you want to waste your faith opportunity, just tell Jesus the details. Instead of going, okay, here I come. Jesus, I don't know, I don't know enough Bible, I don't, my prayer life isn't up to snuff, and so how am I supposed to be a part of that? These people tell Jesus the details. Watch this. And and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? He's going to involve them. Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. More on that later. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. He involves them in his mission. He has compassion on their faithless hearts. He's teaching them, all you have to do is bring something to the table. Like, do you want your life to count for something? 
Do you want your life to count for something? Do you want to love the broken, the needy, the lost people around you? Then stop telling Jesus the details and start bringing him these five little loaves of bread that are in your hand and the two little fish and say, this is all I got. You ready to work? Stop telling him the logistics. He knows the math. He knows that your voice isn't the best. He knows that your details are not great, that you're not a detailed person. We love to lean on that in the church. Well, I'm not a detailed person, so I can't help out with that event. That like gets us out of every event in the church. I'm just not a detailed person. And so no one is, and we don't get the event. Right? It's, this is what we lean on, false humilities like this. Stop telling God the details. He knows you don't have enough money. He knows all you got is five loaves of bread and two fish. He's not counting on you to multiply it. He's counting on himself to multiply it. And he can't wait to show you faith in the process if you're just willing. Now, this is part of a deeper story. I don't know if you know this, but um, Jesus is bringing them to this place and he's feeding them in this place uh, because there are a number of comparisons to the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And I just want to take you into the depth of Jesus' shepherding, of his compassion before we get out of here. We're almost done, I promise. But th- this is so deep and it's so good. And Jesus is using hundreds of years of information to teach us his shepherding and his compassion. Let's talk about the wilderness first. Jesus doesn't just bring them to the wilderness because, um, because, because they... Uh, there, should be, there should be a slide there with just the wilderness on it. Jesus doesn't just bring them to the wilderness because... You know, they, they need a place that lacks amenities so they can get rest, although that's a, that's a major reason. He wants them to rest in him and not other things. But he also brings them to the wilderness because for 40 years, God rained food out of the skies. He pulled them out of slavery, rained food out of the skies. Watch this. Verse 42, I'm going to bring you back. And they all ate and were satisfied. I don't know if you remember this about the Israelites, but they weren't satisfied. They're in the desert asking to go back to slavery because they liked the different food. Now, I've read this passage recently, and I don't judge them at all because I get super cranky over food. I pay for a meal. I'm like, that wasn't up to snuff. But they didn't like the food. They didn't like the manna. They're like, we're tired of the manna. And they're complaining, even though God is raining food out of the skies for them. And here's what Jesus says to them. They took up the leftovers. Not only were they satisfied, but they took up leftovers. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to buy into me, if you want to buy into my compassion, if you want to buy into my shepherding, not only will you eat, not only will you be satisfied, but you're going to have leftovers. That's what you need to ask yourself. Not am I surviving in a relationship with Jesus right now, but do I have leftovers? Are the leftovers just coming out of me? You know that, you know that time when you, when you go to the restaurant and not only is it a fantastic meal, but you're like, I'm going to take that home. And you got a bag and you're like, not only did I eat well now, but I'm going to eat well later. This is what God desires for you. This is not a health and wealth gospel. I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about the satisfaction of relationship, compassion, intimacy, power. He wants you to eat and be satisfied, and he wants you to have leftovers for later. And if you don't have leftovers for later, back to our point from the get, you got to go back to intentional dependence. Sign up for something. 
sign up for something that's going to draw you out right out of your comfort, right out of your independence. It's going to kick your independence in the beeper. Just sign up for that. That's going to do it. The second comparison here that he makes to the wilderness is the leader. Now, Moses was a fantastic leader. Again, I'll never hate on Moses. He led thousands of people through the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, and, and none of us are experiencing that level of leadership and that level of pain. And that's exactly what he did. But he's about to die, and so he's got to pass off the torch to somebody. Verse 16, Let the Lord, the God of the Spirit of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. They needed a leader, but the leader was flawed. Joshua, good leader. Moses, good leader. Took care of them. But the leader is flawed. And did you see it? Like sheep that have no shepherd. We saw that earlier in our passage because Jesus is what's called the better shepherd, the better Moses. Yet, yet, at, at times you think to yourself, Jesus is leading me. But if you really dig in deep, somebody else is leading you. These people were fully dependent. They had their full faith in Moses, and then they had their full faith in Joshua, and then they had their full faith in the judges, and it went on for years and years. And I I, got to ask you, and this is not because I feel like I'm that special of a person, but I got to ask you, am, am I your leader? Is somebody else here your leader? Like, of course, we're we help in teaching the Bible and discipling you. That's not what I'm talking about, but. Is your faith and your dependence on somebody here? On somebody that gets on this stage, on somebody that leads a missional community, on some, is, is your faith and your, de- until you extract your faith and your dependence off of that person, you're never going to experience God the way that you want to experience God. Here's what I mean by that, because maybe that's confusing to you. Much of the American church is dependent on their leader for a relationship with God. They don't pray unless that leader's praying. They don't have church unless that leader's having church. You don't need to be here to have church. I mean, don't do this thing where I don't need to go to church and we're going to have church at home and my, my daughter is going to lead worship and, you know, don't do that thing. You need community. It's biblical. That's one of the greatest heresies of the church. What I'm saying is you don't need to be here to have church. You can have church all week. And some of us depend on that leader to have church. Some of us depend on getting into the scriptures. We, we depend on that leader to get into the scriptures. You know what I'm saying? And so when that leader's on a mountaintop, we're on a mountaintop. When that leader's in a valley, we're in a valley. And when that leader screws up, look, top, my top six favorite pastors, I have that, it's weird, I get it. My top, five out of my top six have fallen. Do you think I'm falling with them? Do you think I'm like, oh, no, I, can't, I don't even know if I can follow Jesus anymore. This is what we do. Like somebody has a, a moral failure, and, and some of us are like, oh, my faith is struggling. Why? Was it in them? Jesus didn't fall. They did. It's just a human. Of course he screwed up. You know, it's like, I was ready for that. He started reading his own fan mail, got too big for his britches. Of course he screwed up. We have, to take, we have to take our faith off of the leader, off of whoever you're, you're putting it in and your dependence. And we have to own our own faith with Jesus. 
Are you experiencing the compassion and the shepherding of God? Again, I think at times, I personally, and I'm, I'm going through this right now, I personally think that I'm there, uh, but really I'm just working super hard at God's stuff. And I remember this one conference that I went to. It was, you know, some big conference. And um, I had just been working my tail off for Jesus for about six months. You know the story of Mary Martha? Martha's in the kitchen. She's doing dishes. She's like, tell Mary to come do the dishes. And God's like, she's sitting at my feet. It's okay. Right? That was me. I'm running around doing all the dishes. I don't need to do the dishes. Jesus doesn't need me. But I'm doing all the dishes. I'm rubbing them twice. And then I'm putting them in the, in the little washing machine. It's like, we don't need all this, okay? We don't need you to put it in the dishwasher too. I'm, this is what I'm doing for the kingdom of God. And I had not just sat at the Father's feet and let him be my shepherd and let him pour his compassion into my bones. And so I get to this conference and I had no clue how empty and lost I was. And the first worship song kicks in and I just feel God tell me, son, I miss you. You ever had that happen? Son, I miss you. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm working. I'm working for you full time. I'm working like 60 hours, Jesus. No, no, son, son, I miss you. And I just sat there for five worship songs and I wept. Because I realized my tank was, it was empty. It was, that thing was like, you know, my dad does this thing where he sees how many miles he can get out of an empty tank. Which is why he gets pulled, like, he, he's pulled over on the side of the road like three times a year. He's like, I almost got this 12 miles. No, that's not the point. This is what we do. Let's see how far we can get without the compassion and the filling and the presence of God. Let's just work. Maybe that's you this morning. Stand with me. Let's let the good, for, the good father, the good shepherd, the good teacher pour into us. Pray. Uh, pray along with me. Jesus, uh, we ask that you would speak into our hearts right now. Would you fill us? Would you fill us? I don't know what you need to say, but would you say it? And I pray that the voice of, uh, the Holy Spirit voice that's creeping into the hearts of people right now, I pray that that would be a compassionate voice, that we would recognize you as a compassionate God who's shepherding us, who's loving us, who's caring for us. We're empty, Jesus. And we're dependent and needy, and that's okay. We come to your throne um, metaphorically. We just, we just come to your feet metaphorically and just ask you for filling in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship with us?